Welcome to Deacon's Pod. I'm Deacon Dennis. Say hello to my co-conspirators, Paulist affiliate deacons, Deacon Drew and Deacon Tom. Hello, this is Deacon Drew. Hello, this is Deacon Tom. Well, it's good to see you two again. You know, we only get to see each other by way of Zoom, except maybe once a year, somehow we get together at some retreat house. Tom, Dennis, I'm always happy to see your smiling faces on the Zoom. So what have you been doing? Anything going on? Any plans coming for anything? Vacations? Vacation? Yeah. We're retired. We're on vacation every day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just got back from Puerto Rico, Drew, so you had a little vacay. I did. Well, that's the thing. Look, my wife and I, our entire working lives, plan to try to do some traveling when we got older and got the opportunity. And God has been good to us, and we have the opportunity now so we went to Puerto Rico, which is one of our favorite places. I, I think I would say it's my second favorite place to go for a vacation. And that is no knock on Puerto Rico because we had a very wonderful, relaxing time. The people are beautiful. The ocean's beautiful. The breeze is nice. The food is great. We just, I can't say enough about what a great time we had. But my first favorite place to go is Italy. So have you guys ever been mm-hmm. to Italy? Tom, have you been to Italy? Yeah, we've been there. We've been several times back in 1998 for, I think it was 98, 97, John Paul, 20th anniversary. The choir at the parish we were in, St. Andrews in Colchester, Connecticut, the choir director led a tour of about 50, 60 people and went over and it was a beautiful place. We got to Assisi, Florence, Vatican, of course. The choir sang in the Teutonic Chapel right there next to St. Peter's that had Excellent acoustics. They were supposed to actually sing for the Pope, but they had such a large Polish contingency that they they actually took over our slot. (laughs) The Pope Pope kind of blew us off. But but, you know, the reverse of that, Tom, is you know, I've I've been kicked out of better places. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So Um, and by better people. Yeah. (laughs) The Pope blew blew you up. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Yeah, but a good time was had by all many good friends. Claim to fame. Yeah. Well, you guys can help me out then because my vacation is going to be good. I'm hoping to see you two guys in Washington, of course, and. In the summertime for our little deacon get-together at Hecker House there for the Paulist Deacons. No, that'll be great. But uh, this fall, I am finally getting my chance to go to Italy. Oh. I have never been. Yeah. You got permission? Be- oh, you have permission to go? I am very excited. You have permission? Oh, no, she's coming with me. Oh. <laughs> Tom, Tom, why is the first thing you think about is Dennis escaping to Italy by himself? Oh, oh I, it's, uh, he's an instigator. <laughs> I don't want to pro- poke Mrs. Dolan. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's projecting. <laughs> too much respect for too much love. He's projecting. Yeah, no, so we're going and going to go for two weeks. So we're going to have to get a couple guests in the can or something, or you guys can soldier on without me. You know, get Mark in or something. And well, I would uh, think you'd get the Pope. I think you, why not? Well, I'm going to try to get him on the podcast, but you're I, going to try you know, to get the Pope. My breath for that. I mean, I, you've got a, your picture with him, so I. Well, that's knows. right. That cardboard cutout picture. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's about as close as I'm going to get. I think. But uh, yeah, so we're going to. I'm thinking like it's going to be a pilgrimage kind of thing because you know for years I taught church history in high schools, in Catholic high schools. And so I've always wanted to see some of these places and 
you know, like I say, it's basically a Catholic pilgrimage. I'm not going as a tourist, you know. It's going to be a lot of churches. So I got people saying, oh, I want to go. We'll go with you. And it's like, you don't want to go. <laughs> you don't want to go. Well, you know, you know I, don't want to be, I don't want to be listening to people crying. What? Now the church. No. I am going to see church history. So there will be no shopping malls in Florence. There will be no, you know, motorcycle rides on the on the Appian Way or whatever. No, we're not doing that. So, so well, yeah. So what you could see a lot of churches and also do a little bit of sightseeing too. I mean, you don't want to pass up the Colosseum. That's a oh, real. No, I'm yeah. going to see that. That's stuff. a religious so place. So many of us well, got killed there. <laughs> yeah, no, I want to see the big ones, the usual t- tourist places, and uh, I'm also planning. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a CZ. I want to see that, and uh, I want to see, and then from Assisi, I'm going to go to Fabriano to see the tomb of uh, St. Romuald, who's one of my favorites, and you know, I've got a bunch of saints I'm going to be calling on, checking them out, and all that, so. We've had some tremendous results of, when we go to Italy, we do what you're talking about doing, Dennis, and that is, we stop in every church we come across. Well, we, that's a lie, because if you stopped at every church, you'd never finish your trip. You wouldn't get down the street. Exactly. So, But we stopped at so many churches, and of course, you can't stop in a church. First, you look at all the wonderful art they have on the wall. I mean, some Caravaggio's, Botticelli's, I mean, they're all, it's ridiculous. But we pray. You know, every church will stop, and then we pray. We spend some time in prayer, and we always have something that we're praying for. And we get back, and maybe another podcast time, I'll tell you how some of these prayers just came true as soon as we got mm. back. Babies were born. People got jobs. I mean, it's amazing. Isn't there some de- old devotion or something? If you go into a new church and you for the Correct, first time yeah. and you say a prayer, you get a wish or something? I mean, I yeah. mean, some kind of folk Catholic thing. I don't know. Isn't it? Isn't that a yeah. thing? I didn't make yeah. that up. I don't know. No, you didn't make that up. Sounds like I, re- I remember hearing after nuns, yeah. Always yeah. hear a prayer. Oh, I'm really happy for you, Dennis, that you're going to so get this opportunity. So what advice you got for me? I mean, what, should, what, what, you got any good restaurants? I'm going to hit some mom and pop place. I'm not that big a tourist. I'm going to look where the locals eat and find some little nondescript place where the menu's in Italian and the food is seasonal and see what I can come up with. I'm not going to... Mickey D's there in Rome or something. <laughs> no, so. Please don't. They, and they're so good about that. You would just walk in, and I never had a bad meal, and I never had a person not be nice to me in a restaurant. And you just say to them, bring me what you – the first time we went to Italy, we went down to the hotel, down to the desk, and I said, I need restaurant recommendations. And they start to talk, and I said, but before you do, please, I want to take, you know where you're going to take your wives and your mothers. So they all get together and they huddle. They actually walked away from the desk to huddle, and they came back and they gave me this place. We still go there. It's a fantastic place. There you go. We, uh, that's, what, that's what you do. That's like Debbie's job. You know, Debbie with all her friends, my wife being a nurse, you know, they all come up to me and say, well, what's the story on this doctor? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this is the guy who thinks he's operating on my husband. And it's like, oh, yes. Oh, yeah, he's good or whatever. You know, the nurses know. It's, right. a, it's kind yeah. of that kind of thing. Right. But Tom. even we went out looking for, I went out looking for a walk to find a corner store, which you couldn't find. But finally, after a while, I came across this little, no advertising, no advertised space that had the cheese hanging inside and the Chianti bottles of wine. So that's basically, they might have had some grapes and a couple of pieces of fruit. Not, that's it. And so I got some bread, some wine and some of the cheese. It was unbelievable. The flavor that you got from the wine, it was earthy. The, mm-hmm. the cheese was excellent that you could never get here. It's almost like being in Ireland to have a Guinness. It's just totally different than what we have in our processed food here. But food was always excellent. They do a nice job. What other towns, Dennis, are you hoping to see while you're there? You... Assisi, 
Fabriano, which is a little jaunt while I'm in Assisi, a little further uh, to the east. And then, and then, so this is all off of Rome. And then down to Monte Cassino, I want to go down that area and oh. see Benedict's place and all that. And there's a few other places in between. And then, and then the second week, go down to the Amalfi Coast, Naples area, and you know, beautiful. Um, yeah, see you know Alphonsus Liguori and you know some of the other guys. You know, Saint Paul of the Cross. No, Saint Paul of the Cross is in Rome. A lot of them, I was surprised because I know like founders of religious orders and stuff that I had taught about or read about that. You know, they're buried in Rome. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, no, he was up on that mountain. But if you want to see him today, he's downtown. Yeah. So, you know, you got to figure that out. So there's a bunch of those. But, uh, you know, mostly just to see and see the, where the history was made. And I don't know. Is the Milan Bridge still there? Can I go see where Constantine fought the battle? Or I That's a question I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know the answer You've to You've been there all these times. So I guess you didn't see that one. Well, I seen a lot of it. I haven't seen it all. <laughs> miles to go before I sleep. Exactly. The Battle of the Milan Bridge which yeah. made Christianity um, legal. Remember that? The catacombs we got to those yeah. are just rough day. Like, wow, what went on there? That's on the list. What was where Peter turned around? What's that? Colvatus. Colvatus. Yeah, that, that's such a out of the way place. And it's basically, there's nobody there. It was just almost abandoned, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to go to the Mamertine prison, which is where mm. Peter and Paul were held, and Paul was at his head cut off. And, you know, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of places, and some of them aren't, you know, big tourist attractions. You know, that's the other thing. I want to go to the Chesanova, the new church, which is, I understand you can still go into the rooms that St. Philip Neri lived in, who is a patron of the Paulists. Right, right. You know, the laughing saint, the saint of humor. You know, which mm. I think we could use a whole lot more <laughs> yeah. of in this organization. So he's one of my favorites, and uh, you know, I so. think it. I think you're going to have a wonderful. Uh, not I yes. think I know you're going to have a wonderful trip, oh, and I, I'm excited. And I it, I'm just you. thinking, if you really want me to go with you, I mean, you, you know, I could probably swing that. Tom, can you handle the podcast for a couple of weeks? You'll go with you. Well, if all three of us, we're all going. If we we could take the podcast on the road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Live we... from the forum, the Deacon Pod. <laughs> <laughs> well. T- <laughs> All right. Speaking of podcasts, we have a great guest today. I can't wait to talk to her. I know you guys also are looking forward to it. So I think we should move into it yeah, right let's now. Get some culture. Yeah, let's get move on. She, she is very cultured. Kate Williams. From, we're we're going to be talking to Kate Williams from lowbrow to highbrow, yeah. just like that. <laughs> yeah. She's going to raise. She's going to raise us up. So let's go see her now. Today, our guest is Kate Williams. Kate is the Vice President of Sacred Music at GIA Publishing. She has earlier earned her bachelor's in music composition at DePaul University in Chicago, and she also got a master's of arts in liturgical studies at Catholic Theological as a Bernadine scholar in Chicago. But perhaps what brings her near and dear to our hearts is that she is a Parishioner and a contributing parishioner, I will say, she is a music minister at Old St. Mary's Catholic Church in Chicago, which is a church you may or may not know that is staffed and run by the Paulist Fathers. Kate is a composer of music. She's a performer of liturgical music. You can find her on Twitter at RealKateJane. That's Real K-A-T-E Jane, J-A-N-E. And she's our guest today, and we welcome you to our podcast. Kate, how are you? 
Thanks for having me. I'm doing very well and excited to see all of you, at least in this virtual platform. Thanks for having me. So as we start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you come to find yourself at Old St. Mary's? What, how did your life bring you here? All right. Well, I'm from rural Iowa, a very small town called Sibley, Iowa, which is in the northwest corner of Iowa. So close, in fact, to the border of Minnesota that my first church family is really in Minnesota, in Worthington, Minnesota. Worthington, Minnesota happens to be the location of a few factories that hired really large population of immigrant peoples, which made for a very diverse and vibrant worshiping community in the context of that, the diversity of the area. So even though it's rural America, rural Iowa, rural Minnesota, my church was only half English-speaking and half Spanish-speaking. Largest influx of immigrants coming from Mexico and Guatemala, as well as we had a big Laotian population there. And so I had this incredible experience of a very big tent approach to church and my first music ministry responsibilities that were more serious when I was first an accompanist for a choir was with a coro hispano. So I know most of the music in my early music ministry days are actually from the Spanish-speaking tradition. I really fell in love with it when I was in high school and decided to pursue music professionally. I thought I would end up in music education. So I went to DePaul University. They have a very conservatory-style, excellent music school there. So that's where I got my degree in composition. That's how I ended up in Chicago. I love Chicago so much, just never left. Met my husband there, got involved in not so much, at least not right away, music ministry on campus, but I was involved in, as a music director at St. Clement right there in Lincoln Park, not far from DePaul University. And then I was a music minister briefly, the interim music director for Loyola University's campus ministry program, and spent the largest chunk of my music director career at St. Nicholas in Evanston, which is a, which is a diverse church very similar to the one that I grew up in. I learned a lot in that community and really made it home. My husband is the music director at Old St. Mary's, but really came across that opportunity to be in that community just on accident. They were just looking for a new music director and he applied and liked the spirit of the place and it worked out well. It's been there since 2015. And before that, we really didn't know much about the Paulists. So there's a brief period of time where we were both music directors here at St. Mary's. I was still at St. Nicholas. And so even though after he started as the director there, I didn't really come to know the community. I was busy with my own church and my own church at the time had a really kind of series of unfortunate events in terms of a tough pastor and a tough transition. And so I discerned out of parish ministry at that point. It was one of those things that can definitely lead to like Burnout, which right. I'm sure you all are familiar with, and so are many of your guests on your podcast here. So I was burning out of parish ministry, happened to come to this opportunity at GIA, first as the assistant senior editor. And at that time, I very cautiously approached just music ministry from the perspective of a parishioner at Old St. Mary's, since that's where my family would then go on the weekend. Sure. And really, that most of that time 
that we've been involved at Old St. Mary's has been under the tenure of Brad Shoberly. He's been the pastor for most of our years there. But I would have to say I didn't start getting super involved until I met Stuart Wilson-Smith, who now is one of my closest friends. And I think he's doing amazing things. And I'm very happy to be a small part of what happens at a church like Old St. Mary's. Well, Father Stu Wilson-Smith, as you know for sure, is one of our very first podcast guests. And he's a, an old friend of the podcast. And he's a personal friend of, of all of us. He's a wonderful priest. Let's go back a little bit. So at some point in time, you went. You told us you went to work for GIA, and you've worked your way up to be the vice president of sacred music. And I know that I think last year you floated out the new gather, the new hymnal gather. Yeah. That's a hymnal that our par- my parish has been using for 30 years. And we don't have the new volume yet, so I'm going to have to do some fundraising in the parish <laughs> to get it. Last time, the Knights at Columbus. In fact, maybe I'll just go to the Knights and say, guys, you got to do it again. It's time. Yes. So, well, I'm happy to help make that happen. Happy to make a sale on an interview anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so you compose music, correct? I do, yeah. Okay. And I know that you perform music at church, and I also know that you perform on Twitter. And again, I just tell our listeners that so they can really go and get, anytime they want, they can just go to Real Kate Jane and, and find your music and because it can be very calming relaxing and soothing. You have a beautiful voice and you play a beautiful piano. And I want to go from the big to the small. And I want, the big is, what is the state from your perspective, from where you sit, of parish ministry today? Now, we've been through the pandemic. There's been, we had the abuse scandal that affected everybody in the world. We've had all these problems. And here we sit now, almost, I hate to say post-pandemic, but it's, we are coming out of it, I think. And uh, what do you believe the state of parish ministry to be? And I will tell our listeners that this is a loaded question, because if you know anything about Old St. Mary's, they have a very vibrant parish ministry. They have a lot of things going on. And maybe we can use some of this discussion to give ideas to people out there who are trying to rejuvenate their parishes. Well, thank you for asking. I think a very popular answer to that question often turns into a narrative of decline, of who's not coming back, who we don't see in the pews, what it was like in the good old days. And I love to offer a counter observation to that type of a narrative because, and one of the things that makes it so easy, I think, for me to get really excited about ministry as as exemplified by the Paulist fathers is that they seem to understand in a particular way how to make the marginalized peoples the center of the story in a very similar way to the way that Jesus did. Jesus was always making people who were made to feel less than or cast aside actually the the protagonist of their own story and, and call everyone else's attention to that too. And what I find when you do that is how much in an overwhelming way, how much life, vitality, vibrance, and real joy is there. And so I really appreciate the way that the Paulist Fathers pay attention to women's voices, to the voices of the LGBTQ community, to the voices of people who are immigrants to this country, people who are lapsed Catholics or have justified reasons to not be practicing church fellows at the moment. 
but really reaching out and finding the true life there and true joy there. And I think that's possible across the country when we look at the state of church and church ministry. It might not look like it always has in our country. And to be very specific about that is that I don't think that the places where the church is really growing and thriving are not white and they might not be exclusively English speaking. And when we look at just like the data uh, about where the church is growing the fastest, the Southwest and in the Southeast, the Diocese of Atlanta is one of the most rapidly growing dioceses in the entire country. We really need to open ourselves to different styles of worship, different styles of music in particular is something that I feel attuned to. And ways that we can really lift up the sacredness of each individual's life, each individual representation of image and likeness of God. I think when we do that, there's some really amazing things happening. Tell us how music can help that process, how music can help make a parish more inviting and welcoming. And um, can music be a positive force? And if not done correctly, can it be a negative force? Oh, 100%. Just on like the, the very like biggest lens view here. We know that like very commonly people identify the homily and the music as two things that will either make or break someone's ability to feel like they belong here or they can make things work here. They can be part of this community. And music ministers would probably go one further and say that, well, no one leaves church whistling the homily. (laughs) So music is so easy to take along with you. But I like to start at a very, very internal type of a level and just ask people, what happens to you? Or have you ever tried to sing when you're angry? You can't do it. (laughs) I can't do it. Or probably better put is when I try to sing when I'm angry, it's just this immediate emotional transition from anger and rage into uncovering like what the real hurt is, like naming the real hurt. And that's kind of one of those intangible, maybe even inexplicable things that music does to us. And part of that is because it's it's, a, it's an embodied experience. It's not something that we just listen to, especially when we're at Mass, but we're called to participate. We're called to make our bodies vibrate with the sound of our dialogue with God and with God's people. And when we do that, when we put something into our bodies, it can have extremely powerful effects in ways that we don't even know are happening. It's why, like, if I sing to you, you don't need any words to know what season it is. Recall memories of your own association with Advents throughout the course of your life to put yourself in the place where you can even imagine who's sitting next to you, whose voice you hear singing that. You can hear what it smells like at that time of year. (laughs) You can hear the taste of the types of foods that you eat at Advent or you can hear the crispness of December air. And that's magic. That is magical and miraculous. And it's an absolute gift from God. So the same can happen with negative associations, right? Either when you have a song that helps you to recall something that was a bad experience or might be a bad association with the person who wrote the song or the person who sang the song or the person who 
performed the song in such a terrible way, you can't unhear it that way again. <laughs> and that's powerful. But what ultimately is happening is because it's taking away all of those other walls that we might put up to protect ourselves from, you know, anything that can make us feel insecure or uncomfortable. It's taking away those walls and it's helping us uncover the truth of what's here true joy, memory, loss, suffering, pain. It's powerful. But I think as a music minister, too, the two things I like to keep in mind, one is that first and foremost, music is an act of hospitality. It's something that we should use to welcome people into deeper connection with one another, welcome people into our church spaces, welcome people into a season or a celebration. And the second one is really about love. Ultimately, it's important for us to learn to sing so that we can love one another better. When we sing in a style or in a language that's not our own, I think the ultimate goal there is to learn how to love the peoples who bore that music first better, to know them more intimately, to know, to have this experience of what happens in a peoples who have taken away some boundaries or walls and to get to the heart of what's important to them, what they most are proud of, what their joy is and what their sorrow is. And so music is an incredible tool to help us get in touch with that vibrancy of the diversity of uh, the image of God. Thank you for all of that. Sure. Kate, having said all that, and beautifully said, by the way, the question I have that we, we run into, and you mentioned you put it in the same category as preaching, which I think is accurate, is music is like preaching or teaching in one very important way is that it's subjective receptivity of it. You didn't like every teacher you had. And the ones you didn't like, your friends thought were great. Oh, this is, oh no, Deacon Tom is preaching. No, not again. Kate or, the church. <laughs> use a less universal example. Okay, Deacon <laughs> Drew is preaching. No, no. But when you do, the problem with music that I hear so much about is that people's tastes are different. That's number one. And preaching, you can't please everybody. And preaching, you got everybody in front of you. I mean, it's not like these are the fifth graders and they're all middle class and they're all from suburban Chicago. This is here comes everybody, right? Nine months to 99 years old, all education levels, backgrounds, whatever. So you got your work cut out for you. So everybody doesn't like every kind of music. Some people have very strong feelings against, oh, those guitar masses are just, which I never understood. Uh, If it's well done, it's well done for me. I I can enjoy all of it. But how do you deal with that? Because part of the, I see part of the culture war going on in the Catholic Church is, I see it being played out musically. I don't know if you see that. You've got a much better view than I have, but just my limited view, I see a lot of people just as a pushback against Vatican II and Pope Francis putting mercy in the center of the gospel, or actually reminding us that mercy is the center of the gospel. He didn't put it there. And you have people pushing back on that. And I see people, it's a lot, uh, there are places where there's a whole lot of Latin hymns, which I remember. So I don't have a problem with it personally, but I know there's a lot of people that this is not working for. And then they're also playing a lot of classical stuff, which, again, nothing wrong with it. But just a little anecdote recently, 
about five or six people I know left a parish to go to another parish because I don't know this music. I can't sing this music. What am I doing here? And that's important to them, that music. And they're driving 20 minutes to go to a church where, oh, a GIA or some, one, of the, one of the hymnals that, that, they would, that they would be familiar with. These are churches that don't play I Will Raise You Up on Easter. So what do you think about that? Is there, a, am I right? Is there a pushback going on uh, uh, on a larger view? Is there, how do you deal with the subjective part of this? How do you make everybody happy? Yeah. Oh, gosh, you don't. I think <laughs> the music wars, I think, in reality, were actually much more polarized probably about 25, 30 years ago when people were just starting to figure things out, feel comfortable about things they figured out after Second Rapid Council. And there were definitely camps of people, right? The camps of the guitar mass or folk mass people and the camps of the organ mass or the high mass people. Stuff I really do think shook itself out over the years. And people figured out, for example, I'm a, I'm a pianist. I would, I'm, a, I would, I'm a half organist. You do not want to hear me play the organ. I'm a pianist. I grew up around a lot of guitars. And yet I could feel very comfortable singing Regina those old Latin hymns for any season. And I feel comfortable doing that because I found a way to enter into them, to make them mine, to figure out what is valuable about well, them. They're timeless. I understand people timeless. might, some yeah. people might not like them, but it's ultimately timeless. But yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, but this is, it very much speaks to, I think that, well, a couple of things. One, now that we have so many social media platforms where you can hear any opinion you want to hear, <laughs> you can get validation, you can get a second, you can get a confirmation on any opinion you might have about anything on social media. And that's just true. And in fact, though I think truly the ones who are most polarized are much smaller groups than they may have been 30 years ago, they're also much louder because they have so many more platforms yeah. and megaphones with which to broadcast their opinion about things. It becomes very confusing if you only live out the church via what you see on Catholic Twitter, for example. But it does indeed, like you're saying, still happen where people will say, this is not my genre. This is not the style of Catholicity that I feel serves me best. And on the one hand, we have to let people go where they think they are in a place that is best helping them live the gospel or live. I, I even think just that very basic, like how do we be better people, more loving people in the world? If organ music is the thing that you need in order to do that, go find yourself some organ music. But I really, what I would really want to say, and this speaks to the work that all ministers within a community should be attuned to is like the culture of your community. Why do you go to mass? And while I will a hundred percent in no matter what genre, style, language, make sure that what you hear is the best it can be, the best it's most well done that it could be, but ultimately it's not for your entertainment. It's not being done because we think that you will like it. We choose music and we sing music because it is essential in our community building. It's an essential and a, I would say a radical act. Where else in the world 
do you gather together with 300, 500, 50 people who are friends and strangers and all decide you're going to sing the same words at the same time in the same rhythm or something? It happens among you when you do that. Like scientifically, they can show that actually your heart rates will start to sink. You are breathing together. You are inhaling, exhaling the same time. Great loss during COVID times, of course, that we lost right. that, that radical act of community building. But ultimately, what we're singing, I sing songs every Sunday that are not my favorite songs. And I'm happy mm-hmm. to do it because it's somebody's favorite song. And somebody feels seen and heard and like they belong when we sing. I have, I've never been to Africa And when we sing the music that's in our hymnals that comes from a community in South Africa, there are people being in Chicago, an urban area. We've got people who come to our church from all over, whether they're regular parishioners or visitors. And those people are delightfully included, almost unexpectedly. But that's like also very metaphorical when we think about the work of God. God unexpectedly sees us, calls our name, and counts us as welcome and as part of what belongs in, in God's kingdom. And that's a beautiful thing that we can do using music as a tool for one another. I think it's much more meaningful and much more profound to think about music in that way, about who can be seen here, who can be heard, who can feel like they belong, than simply desiring to only hear things that I prefer to hear or styles of music or instrumentation that is my personal preference. Personal preference when we're doing community work. It's a little core on the totem pole. (laughs) Then priorities like community building, loving one another, and learning to welcome cultures other than my own as a part of what's considered holy. When you're thinking about the music each week for the liturgies, do you suggest that the music people should be working closely with the celebrant and or the preacher, whoever that might be, because they're not always the same, somehow in, in determining what should be the tone and flavor? Every season has its own tone and flavor. I get that. But do you work hand in hand with the rest of the church ministers in doing this? Or do you suggest doing that? I do suggest being on the same page. Sometimes it seems possible and maybe even a, a little micromanagey to over plan for the Sunday celebrations. Right. And especially I believe in investing in qualified, smart, and attentive professionals to be in that music director position so that you don't need to, as a presider, as a preacher, you don't need to feel like you need to have extra involvement in what they're doing. You know, trust them, hire good people, Trust them to do the right thing. Trust that they are in the, they're in the same vein as what you're hoping this community can do and be in the world. Good preparation can, is also essential too. You need to be having conversations. If you're both starting from the same place, which is scripture, right. probably going to, you're probably going to do an adequate job each and every Sunday because the themes of the weekend scriptures tend to find themselves. And honestly, you don't want to be like too on the nose with a song because sometimes when you're a little more broad in the themes and message of a song, what you're doing is igniting the participant's imagination 
to make right. their own connections between the scripture they heard, the preaching that they heard, and the message in the song. And so two on the nose can just narrow what happens with people's imagination instead of opening it up so that people can really see the possibilities for their place in this next line of action as a community. So I usually caution music directors and pastors or preachers, let the music director pick the songs. (laughs) You have a suggestion, you can always offer it. Mm. But most of the time, that can be just a little bit limited (laughs) in terms of the kind of creative imagination type of uh, approach to what's possible. I think what I'm hearing you say, though, in your response to Dennis is taking the adult position in the room in that, okay, if live and let live. This is the music that we want to do. We'll listen to you and try to make it accommodate some of your needs. But if you just can't stand hearing the piano every week and you need to hear the organ, and unfortunately, I guess it could be 20 minutes away, but you know, you need to find the best. People do that all the time. And we've talked about that a lot on this program, that people do go parish shopping. They might not like anything I have to say. And I don't know how many parishioners we've lost based on my preaching. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but it has the problem. The problem I have with this is not, and I agree with everything Kate said, and I think that is the adult approach. But there are often cases where this is what father wants, or this is what the music director wants, and father doesn't care, or they both want the same thing, and that's it, and that's what you get. And there is no variance. There is no meeting your needs part of this. Well, we could do some parishes used to, and I don't know what Kate thinks about this, but they used to do the seven o'clock mass. There was no music. And then for the 9 o'clock mass, that was the guitar mass. And then the 11 o'clock mass, that was the choir and all that. And I don't know if that approach is still widely used, where they tried to give people some kind of shot at different things. But uh, I've been running into cases where it's like, no, we do this, and that's what we're doing. That's it. There's no accommodation. There's no variance in it at all. Yeah. Some of that, too, is like, very personality driven. <laughs> Oftentimes, if you if there's a this is what we do and there's no variance, I think what could be a part of that is this is actually the music director's preference or the pastor's preference. It's what they want to hear. <laughs> when if their argument for not changing or being flexible about it is because they genuinely think that XYZ approach is helping form their community. That's a different reaction right. <laughs> to request for variance than is, well, father thinks that organ music is better than guitar music or it's holier than guitar music. It's more sacred. It's more solemn. Well, I think those are rightfully, I think those are things that it is our duty and responsibility to call into question. What do we really want music to do? I know that there are lots of places to do different styles of music based on whatever mass time it is. So either mm-hmm. like the quiet mass is, is often the early one if they do that. The mid-morning mass is often the just run-of-the-mill, very predictable, often what we call it around here, <laughs> like a white suburban sound for the music. And then oftentimes they'll have a later mass in the day that they like to call a youth mass or a young adult mass, and they'll try to do more praise and worship style music, more guitars, more percussion, often because they think that appeals to younger people. Oh, those are like valid things to do depending on your community, your location, and the conversations that you've had within that community. 
What I worry about sometimes is that if it's always these staunch groups of people within the same community, especially who always they'll call themselves, oh, we go to the praise and worship mass or we go to the quiet mass or we go to the oftentimes I'll even say the main mass if it's like the mid-morning Sunday mass. And I think that it's important for those communities to be aware of the way that people talk about themselves within the community and the hierarchies and divisions that that create simply because of a genre difference. Maybe as a general rule of thumb, it works for a community to have a different style of music at each mass. But if they never shall meet, (laughs) um, I think it calls to mind rightly a good question about what the unity of your, how the unity of your community is actually coming forth. Like what, how do people know that they're a part of this community or that they're a part of one another's business in a way? Sounds like a, uh, a title for a song, the unity <laughs> of your community. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put that out there. <laughs> I was reading something from the great mystic Meister Eckhart, the uh, Dominican, and he, uh, he recognized the limitations of language, and he transferred the metaphor of music to be able to get beyond the difficulties of language to enter the transconceptual understanding of the great beyond. Uh, the joy, I think he called it the joy without a cause. And But music was a way, he said that, I think it, there was an expression, someone said, you sing a, a joyful hymn to the Lord, but when you chant, it opens up your ability to listen. And I I see that in music, when music is well done and you go into church and maybe, like you said, there's different degrees of music we like and we don't like. But when we hit that tone of a beautiful piece of music, I like the Ave Maria. I think everybody would love the Ave Maria, right? It moves you to that place where you do get to have some motion beyond the physical limitations of we're here at church and what we're here for, to be lifted up and to be inspired by that music for the higher purpose of finding the joy without a cause the great God beyond all knowing. And I think that's the purpose of music. And when it's good, it gets us there. When it's not good, we complain. At least that's my case. That We just come out of church and where everybody's complaining that this or that, like Dennis said, that it's not my cup of tea. And I complain when we leave church with the closing hymn from the Council of Trent, which there's parishes that do that. Like, yeah, I don't wake up Wednesday morning singing that that song, whereas they do with some of the good music from Gather. It's supposed to keep it like a homily, a good homily that you remember Thursday is an excellent homily that gets you to move in that direction. Good music does the same for me. It's inspirational. Yeah, it is, definitely. It's that as all those, like I'm not a scientist and I'm not a doctor, and so I don't know all the things that are happening, but I know that there are things happening mm. like in your mind when you're listening to music or when you're singing music. There are things that your brain is doing that I don't understand. Your brain is making all kinds of connections to other times that you've heard this, to other people you've heard this from, other places you've been. Your mind is doing a whole host of things I have no idea about. And so is mine. And we're all bringing that just cacophony of memory and remembering of one another in that same moment, sometimes taking the same breath. And you're right, listening to each other better and deeper in a way that we can't really do it without that kind of accompaniment in terms of music as our life's accompaniment to keep us on track, keep us on pace, help us sit with one another and bring us from point A to point B. That's this marker of time that is really powerful. I know that you, you mentioned that and it just 
makes me recall experiences in my life, like being home from college and waking up on a Saturday morning with my mother cooking bacon. Like when I smell bacon now, it's you could get transported in time. The smell, yeah. all the senses come alive in it. Like you mentioned, the, the brain does these things that we're not even aware of. Yeah. And I think that the masters try to engage us in being aware and to listen and to be awakened to the reality, a deeper, much deeper reality of the experience of God through all sight, sound, all our senses. There are studies that have concluded that having children and babies, infants and small children listen to Mozart will increase their capacity to understand math. Because apparently, and I don't, I'm, I may have this somewhat wrong, in, but apparently Mozart's way of composing music tricks the brain into doing a numerical sequence. Sure, okay, yeah. Yep. So uh, there's just so much to know about that. I'm lucky because I'm in a, a good parish in, in several respects. It's not a Paulist parish, but it's a good parish. <laughs> and we have good music ministers and have had for a long time. And every once in a while, they'll deviate from the gather. And they'll be like old Southern spirituals or songs maybe from Africa that have a more syncopated rhythm to them. And as soon as they start up, I, this has happened to me a couple of times. I'm like, mm, I wonder how, and before I know it, a congregation is in this old traditional congregation that I am in. And I, sh I shouldn't say old, I should say aging, somewhat traditional congregation I'm in are into this music. To the point of sometimes, like at the end of the mass, if it's the they'll cl they'll clap, they'll like all, all applaud and walk out all happy. All I'm trying to say is, you never know if the music is good, if it's performed well, who will buy into it and find some spiritual accompaniment solace from it. And it's a little similar to the sacrament in that way. It's beautiful. It in and of itself has qualities, and also the intention behind it is such an important part of sacrament or of music itself. So mm -hmm. I, I mentioned that I, the first opportunity I had to be an accompanist regularly for choir was in a Spanish choir. I was 14. I was barely learning the piano still. I mm -hmm. didn't know Catholic liturgy and I didn't know Spanish. <laughs> and being thrown in that baptism by fire, one of the biggest takeaways for me is the generosity of spirit from the people that I was around who could hold me so, so consistently and so gently through all of my mistake-making yeah. <laughs> in liturgy, in music, in, in the Spanish language, because they knew that my intent was pure, that I really wanted to, I really wanted to try this. I really wanted to be a part of this. And I really believed that I could. And they believed that it was important I was there. And that was some of the beautiful part of it too. It does, I think one of the things that I don't have an answer for, but I love to think about as a musician is just my own personal definition of beauty. What is beautiful? Some people define that by genre. Some people define it by perfectionism or excellence in or in delivery. But there's beauty too in just the intent and the hopefulness in belief and in trying and engaging and failing and getting up and trying again and in forgiveness, there's beauty there too. And all of that can be found in the world of music ministry too. That's wonderful. Kate, thanks so much. Let's move to our prototypical Deacon's Pod question. And that is the audiences that we're looking for. 
the people who are on the margins. We hope to give them some hope and some reason to stay in this church, and we hope to give this people some reason and some hope to come to this church because of the beauty we find in it, the beauty through the music and through the liturgy and through the spirituality that our church has. So to put you on the spot, if you know that there's somebody who's like hovering around the door of your church, either they're on their way out or they're on their way in, but they can't make a decision one way or the other, do you have something to say to them? Do you have a way to approach those people? Yeah. People who are on their way in or who look like they might have at one point given a glance and considered on mm-hmm. the way. Paul is in particular good at doing this too. Just saying, come and see what we're doing in here. I'm mm-hmm. inviting you to come in this way. Right. Because I think what's here is really special. And I hope that because you know me and things about me, and you know that you don't trust everything about me, but you could trust that things that I care to spend my time on, there might be something there. And I'm telling you, I'm choosing to spend my time here in this community. I'm choosing to spend my time praying in this way as a part of this tradition in spite of, sometimes it feels in spite of. One of my closest friends actually is not Catholic, but she's often like, how can you call yourself a feminist and a Catholic? And I always think, how can you call yourself a Catholic and not be feminist? That's part of the, that's part of the game, right? We have to care about people who have been marginalized, who've been oppressed by systems or by other peoples or by time or by interpretation of law or scripture or anything else. So I just say, come and see. I think we can do stuff here. I think we're not going to have all of our dreams realized in our lifetime, but this is a very long 2,000-year-old love story. And we got a chance to be a part of it right now. We got a chance to be a part of pushing towards the next steps towards kingdom. And if they're on their way out, which usually the people who I meet who are on their way out, the majority of them, at least in my life, the majority of them are young women. And they have completely valid, important reasons to do that. Right. And I think it's important that they know that they're not trapped here. And it's important to know that taking a break is okay. And even if you need to take a break from church, God's not taking a break on you. And if or when you figure it out and want to come back, that door is always open to you and I will be here too. Because there's people who did that for me. Like I haven't been totally consistent through all of my life. I was in college. I've taken breaks too. And when I got lost enough that I needed something to put me back, something to keep time with me while I figure out the big questions of life, there have been people who said, all right, come back. And that's ultimately why, even if I personally need breaks at any point in my life, I try to be also really vocal about when and why I'm not taking a break right now. Because I believe in what my community is doing. I see a place for me there. I'm surrounded by good people who, even if they disagree with each other, are basically rowing the boat in the same direction. And that's Mm -hmm. hopeful. And Sometimes uh, they're not using the oars, but okay, yeah. yeah, I I agree. I agree with (laughs) you. I think it's a coast sometimes, sure. (laughs) But there, there will always be people like me who find themselves in a church 
And I don't want them to only be greeted by those who have a very strict sense of who's allowed here and who's not and how you have to conform yourself to be welcome at this table. I don't want them to only find there. There will always be those kinds of people and there will always be seekers. And I want them to find people who have an open and embracing sense of what it is to be a child of God. Thank you for that answer. And uh, and I think one thing that you saw, uh, all of it resonated with me, but one thing particularly resonated with me was to be sure that we validate those people who feel that they need to take a break or to leave or to walk away and to figure out what's going on. Because as you said, uh, they most often, if not always, have a perfectly valid reason to do what they need to do. And even if we don't think they have a valid reason, that's not the right answer. Their reason is their reason. And uh, it's important for us to be standing there waiting the prodigal son, the father, basically didn't wait for the son to come back. He ran out and met him in the road. And when the son began to apologize, he said, shut up. We're going to have a party. We're going to put a ring on your finger. And uh, we're going to kill the fatted calf. The vegetarians are invited too. This is going to be a party because you thought about coming back. So, Yeah, that's right. So if someone is looking for hope, if someone is looking for hope to stay in the church, what hymns can you think of right now that are giving you hope? Any new music or even old hymns, anything at all that you would suggest? Having that person listen to that music that would give them hope to help them with whatever problems that they're having right now. Well, one thing that really gives me a lot of hope and a lot of joy right now is the music that Roger Holland is writing. Roger Holland is from the Black Catholic tradition. He is professor of music right now at the University of Denver. He's an incredible musician, but the music that he's writing right now is very clearly, it's brilliant. He's an amazing musician. He knows what he's doing, both compositionally and by technique. His singing, his playing is incredible, but what he's doing, his gift to the church is lifting up the legacy of his peoples. And he is showing us not just how, you know, for example, not just how African-American spirituals can be added into the liturgy, but he's showing us how they're an essential part of what it means to be Catholic and to be American. The new music that he's writing across genres, one of the things he's really passionate about is not pigeonholing African-American people or Black Catholic people into only writing gospel music or only singing spirituals, but in fact, Black Catholics and African-Americans throughout all denominations write in a plethora of genres just like any other composer. And it's good music. So he's exemplifying how to break down some of these boundaries of what might be our stereotypes or our just natural assumptions based on what we have heard in our lifetime. And that work of boundary breaking, I also find very consistent with the work of Jesus. Jesus was interested in boundary breaking, and so is Roger Holland. And anytime he writes a new piece of music, a couple of favorites, like literally before this call, my whole office is jamming out to his song called Building Up the Kingdom. It's so hopeful. The refrain is, I want to be used for the building up of the kingdom of God. Keep me fast to this task. I want you to use me for this greater purpose. 
It's a beautiful song. The other one of his that I'm really into right now is called All of Me. And it's an ode to Sister Thea Bowman, who was servant of God, Sister Thea Bowman right mm-hmm. now. And her, it's based off of her address to the USCCB when she oh, said... Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. When she says, I come here bringing you all of me, my black self. Does that frighten you? Because <laughs> I'm bringing all of it to the table. It's all holy. It's all blessed. Right. And Sister Thea is servant of God, for those who don't know, means that's the first step on the road to sainthood. Mm-hmm. So that's she right. is up for canonization. But I have goosebumps right now just talking about it. Because yeah, it I can see you're into it. Yeah. Feels great. how it does that thing that music does. It surpasses time and space and it unites people in a way that nothing else really can. So Roger Holland's doing a lot of incredible things. I'm that's also great. really proud of Peter Kolar who is our editor for Spanish and bilingual resources, but I would say those same things about him. He is across genres, an excellent musician and understands well the importance of giving voice and elevating the voice of Spanish-speaking peoples in this country right now, both the music that he writes as well as his ability to foster the voices of other people writing for those purposes too is really inspiring and hopeful. And it gives me a lot of pride to be just bearing a small witness to the work that even those two alone are doing. How healing for our country's process of making amends and healing for many sins from uh, hundreds of years of the development of this country. But what great example we have within the Catholic Church and within the music in the Catholic Church that we can use to help us learn to better love one another, better understand one another, and better develop, cultivate, and appreciation for the culture and experience and perspective of one another. Kate, this has been a wonderful session. It has been informative. It's been uplifting. It's mind-blowing for me. I just really enjoyed it so much. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm so glad that you asked me to come and have a chat with you. Please know my gratitude for your your work here and your service to the church, all the sacrifices that that entails, but really just the joy that you bring to your work really gives me a lot of joy too. Thank you very much. Thank you indeed, Kate. Thank you. Thank you. Special thanks to El Jefe Paul Snatchko and our editor, David Dalt. The Deacon's Pod is powered by the Paulist Fathers. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts and of course at our own website, www.deaconspod.com. That's D-E-A-C-O-N-S with an S, deacons, plural, pod, all one word, dot com. And of course, we'd love to hear your comments at our email address, which is deaconspod, again, with an S, deacons, at paulist.org. That's P-A-U-L-I-S-T dot org. Love to hear from you. That's our offering. We thank you for being with us. On behalf of our colleagues at the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, we wish you a future brighter than any past. Till next time.